0: If you would, turn in the Bible to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look back this morning at Mary's song, that Magnificat. I didn't really plan for December to be a series on Mary and all the things she said, but it's kind of turning out that way. This month, we've been following the the Advent devotional book, which, by the way, has been outstanding. Hopefully, you're reading these so encouraged uh, at the people in our church that are able to write these devotionals and have depth to them. If you're keeping up, this morning we read from Kyle Pomeroy's devotional on Matthew 1. I read it this morning. It It was excellent. The book tells us that there's promise needed and then promise made. And then promise expected. And then it ends this final week from now all the way up until Christmas Day with promise kept. God is a promise keeping God. And that's good news for us. That's good news for us this morning and in this season and in this life. You can trust God. You can surrender everything you've got to God and trust him. He will see it through. He will take you home. You will find rest for your souls if you will trust him. This time of year, I can find myself being overly emotional. I don't mean emotional like like dramatic, like what's wrong with me. I mean more so like contemplative and thoughtful and reflective upon all that's going on. Maybe you're that way, but there's a lot to think about. Tensions are high this time of year, aren't they? The lines are longer and that'll drive you crazy. Having to do so many things will drive you crazy. But yet the Anticipation of doing so many meaningful things sounds so good. This morning on our way to church, I told my kids, I said, Man, I don't think we have anything planned this week. As far as school schedules go, Christmas fell nice this year. We have a whole week still before Christmas and nothing to do. I don't think we have any ball games. I told them we might watch Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2 back to back this week. Make cookies play Risk, Monopoly. I might try to do all of that, and that, that's exciting. I want to do those things. I find myself feeling a lot of things. I also went to multiple funerals this week. And while that weighs heavy on me, I can only imagine how heavy that weighs on those who are really, really dealing with loss this time of year. Man, there's a lot to think about. When I get thinking and feeling that way, it makes me go a little bit further into the, in, the inside of me or us. Today I want to look at a passage that speaks to our soul, your soul. You have a soul and you are a soul. You are more, so much more, than just what you are on the outside. I know we put a lot of emphasis on the outside We care about what people think about us, we care about what we do, we care about how successful and productive we are, we care about our looks, but we are more than that. Now there's a tendency for us to kind of get sideways when we get to thinking like this and we try to make it an either or. We're both. We are both. We are both the inside and the outside, okay? Okay. And at times we're more important on that, we're more focused on the inside of us, and at times we're more focused on the outside of us. And God would have it that we're aware of all of us. We just read that passage from Scripture. From uh, Matt read it earlier. That in the greatest commandment, Jesus says, God wants us to love Him with all of our heart, mind soul, and strength, or body. All of us is to love God. We need to be aware of that. We need to think through that. We need to process that. That means we can't just clean up the inside and not worry about the outside. That means we can't just clean up the outside and not worry about the inside. That means that God wants my thoughts and God wants my feelings and God wants my actions and my obedience to be for him. And sometimes we... Don't grasp all of that. And looking at the soul today, I believe, will help us with it. Sometimes we disconnect those things. For instance, you know people that say they love God, but they don't really live like it. You're shocked to hear that they claim Christ you're shocked to hear that they go to church. And there's a disconnect between the way we view ourselves on the inside, the way we think about ourselves and who we are, maybe the way we think, and then how we live on the outside. That disconnect happens. It happens both directions. Sometimes there are people who, on the inside, are bitter and angry and mean and just not very nice. But yet, they work so hard on the outside to be that way. And maybe all they show to people is niceness. They don't say anything. They, they, They keep it all pent up. But at home, they can explode, finally vent and let it all out, and the real them comes out. It goes both ways. God would have it that we would love him with all of us. Today, I want to passage of Scripture from Luke chapter 1, Mary's song, to put emphasis on the soul, who we are on the inside, and let's build out from there. Look with me at Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46 of Mary's song. We've been here now many times. This is Mary's song of praise, her response when she visits her cousin Elizabeth, and they both are aware... That they're pregnant. God is doing this incredible work. Mary is a virgin. And Elizabeth is barren. You would think this is not happening. But they also were the ones who knew and believed and lived out that nothing is impossible for God. These ladies believed God and his promises. So this song unfolds and is a beautiful song filled with Scripture rooted in the Old Testament, filled with the promises of God. It is very much so connected to Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2. You would see some parallels there if you went back and read that. But this morning, I just want us to look at the first two verses. Luke chapter 1, verse 46 says, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That's not the whole song. The song continues all the way to verse 55, but it is the beginning of her song. And the reason why it is called the Magnificat is because in Latin, that first word for magnifies is Magnificat, or very close to that. And so that's why it's been known as that. The statement, the initial statement coming out of Mary's mouth in response to the unfolding of the redemption plan of God to send Jesus into the world and the way He's done it through a virgin to prove that He is 100% God and 100% man, Jesus has now. Overwhelmed Mary with the goodness of God, the promises being kept by God, the fulfillment of the promises of God, and her response is, my soul magnifies the Lord. I don't know how you respond when you are extremely happy. I don't know how you respond when deep down you are thrilled and satisfied, but Mary gives us a glimpse here. Her soul magnifies the Lord. There's so much that could be said about why she didn't say, here's what I'm going to do and here's what I need to do, and if God's done this for me, then I'll go do this for Him. I want to do great things for God to show that God has done great things for me. and All of that does fit into the Christian life at times. This morning, we're going to focus in on how her first thing was for God to be magnified from the inside of her. From how she thought, from how she felt, from how she believed from how God was working on the inside of her. It doesn't say she raised her hands and did a dance. It doesn't say she yelled at the top of her lungs. It doesn't say she sang beautifully or loudly. It doesn't say she gave a big offering. It doesn't say she went and talked to all of her neighbors. It says on the inside of her, which cannot even be seen. You couldn't have noticed. God was magnified through her soul. C.S. Lewis, that great writer from England, once said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Heaven. The kingdom of heaven and eternity. Your soul can embrace that. Your soul can get that. And your soul can delight, trust, and glorify the God who will get you there. Soul is a good word when we get into Christianity. When we get into Christmas time. Me and Andrew Crawford had some conversation this week about how often soul comes up in our songs and in our Christmas songs. You may, have know, of, you may know of some. But in O Holy Night, you have these lyrics. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the what? And the soul felt its worth. I've been praying all week. We've been praying this morning that by the mercy of God and the true life change that Jesus gives, that you wouldn't walk out of here today inspired to change the world. I hope that happens, but that's not the goal. But that before we dismiss today on the inside of you, deep, thoughtful, contemplative, and reflective, that your soul would feel its worth in the Lord Jesus Christ. That song hits the nail on the head. That through the coming of Christ at Christmas, so that he might grow up, never sin, and offer up himself on the cross as the sacrifice for all time, as the redeeming work, that you would trust that God loves you, and he did that with his son. He gave up his son on your behalf, that your soul would feel its worth, that your soul would worship God. With this simple statement, my soul magnifies the Lord. I want us to go through three points this morning. We don't always have three points, but it sure seems like it, doesn't it? Number one, the promise kept. I said this last week and I'll say it again, Mary's shock and awe and worship and praise does not come so much because how weird and random it is in the way that God does it. I know for us that is a major factor, and for her it was a fearful factor. She did have questions, but the response that Mary has in worship and in rejoicing and in humility and all of that is more so because the Jews singing, come that long expected Jesus, longing for their savior. Messiah to come have seen God has done what he told us he would do it's a beautiful thing when Christ entered the world yes it is a way that nobody could have thought up Virgin birth in a manger, no room in the inn. That's a wild scene, we know. But that's not the thing that has Mary responding like this. What has Mary responding like this is that God is the Savior who's been doing throughout all of history what he promised he would do. He took Abraham when he wasn't even a believer in God and he promised him he would work through him and make him into a great nation with a huge family from everywhere. He changed his name to mean father of all nations. And guess what has unfolded and is unfolding today throughout the world? In all nations, God is working in this world. He has created a family of believers on every part of the world who trust in Jesus Christ as their king and savior he promised that to abraham many many years ago when nobody would have ever thought anything like that and he's been keeping that promise ever since he made a promise to king david that david would have a son on the throne forever that the people of god would have a forever king And just about as soon as David died, that whole thing seemed to go south. Solomon made it all about himself. And ever since then, it's been an ugly thing with kings until they didn't even have a king anymore. And you thought, what? And then all of a sudden, a shoot came out of the dead stump. And life was back, and it was the king, and that king will never die. He reigns forever. And so that promise that seemed like, oh, God said he was going to have a king forever, but now we don't have a king forever. No, there is a king forever, and he came, I guess, a little bit late, but he came, and he is the king of kings who reigns right now. The Bible says that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And The Bible says whether you believe or not, you will bow your knee to him. Every knee will bow and confess you are worthy, Jesus. You are the king. God is a promise-keeping God, promise-kept. He said that Moses is the great prophet, but he said there's a greater prophet coming after Moses. He's kept that one through Jesus Whether it's Abraham's family or the prophet after Moses or King David, God has been keeping his promises. But here today, the promise kept that we want to focus on most of all is the Savior coming through the virgin birth. In the Gospel of Isaiah, I'm sorry, in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah said these words, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That Christmas word, Emmanuel, which means God with us, that Christmas story that is so beautiful of Mary and Joseph and the Holy Spirit making her pregnant because she had not been with Joseph yet, that incredible story was declared many years before. And at that moment, nobody understood what that meant. Everybody was like, okay, yeah, what, who who knows? But once it unfolded, once God fulfilled it, once God kept it, we're like, he's too good. It's, It's so true. He keeps his promises. He's kept his promise, and I didn't even understand the promise completely. He's kept it. This morning we recognize in Mary's song that her singing and praising and rejoicing is due to God keeping his promise. All month we have talked about how we need a promise. In our sins and our rebellion against God and our disobedience and our just not measuring up to the fullness and holiness and the goodness of God. Seeing ourselves having fallen short of that. We need an answer. God gives an answer. We wait for that answer and now we see he keeps that answer. He keeps that promise. J.C. Ryle commenting on this says, Let us learn from this holy woman's example to lay firm on the Bible promises. To lay firm hold on Bible promises. It is of the deepest importance to our peace to do so. Promises are, in fact, the manna that we should daily eat and the water that we should daily drink As we travel through the wilderness of this world, we see not yet all things put under us. We see not Christ and heaven and the book of life and the mansions God is preparing for us. We walk by faith, and this faith leans on promises. But on those promises, we may lean confidently. They will bear all the weight that we can lay on them. And we shall find one day, like the Virgin Mary, that God keeps his word. And that what he has spoken, so he will always, in due time, perform. There's a lot of advice out there, isn't there? And depending on who you ask advice for, you get a bunch of different answers. This morning, would you be reminded, seven days out from Christmas 2022, God kept his promises And you can trust him. If you do anything today, surrender everything. Make adjustment. Turn from your sins. Resolve to believe God. Number one, promise kept. Number two, let's see what Mary says here in verse 46. The Lord magnified. My first point this morning is promise kept. And my second is the Lord magnified. She says... My soul magnifies the Lord. The soul, who you are on the inside, is meant to magnify God. We are made in God's image. The Bible tells us from the beginning that he made us after his likeness. You can see inside the human makeup that we are from God. He made us. Made us like him. We are different than anything else he's ever created. We are made in God's image that we would glorify him, that we would reflect him. On our Jesse tree at home, what we're doing with our children every night through the Advent Bible study this Christmas season, we have an ornament to go on our tree, on our little Jesse tree, for every night's devotional. And like the second night of December, the third night of December, when we looked at this point that God makes people in his image, the ornament was a little mirror. And the mirror is to remind us that we are image bearers, that God has made us like him. That like looking in a mirror is to reflect what we see, looking in a mirror is to reflect God. We are to reflect God. We don't always do that. We know that. But we were made to do that because of our sinfulness and because of our waywardness. We must admit that we don't always do that. We must also recognize that we don't do that on the inside and the outside. Do not think that your soul is a good soul, but you sometimes mess up on the outside. That's incorrect, That is inconsistent. Do not think that you're a good person with a good soul and you just happen to do bad things and so that's not that big of a deal. No. The Bible says that all of us is fallen and all of us is sinful and all of us is in need of redeeming. Our outside needs to be redeemed but our soul needs to be redeemed. When we think about God having made us to glorify him and to magnify him, that should make sense. Anything that does not honor and glorify him is sin. We are made in God's image to glorify him. And this is why that we are more, so much more, than just what we do. In that passage that I already mentioned that Matt read, when they come to Jesus and they ask him, what's the greatest? That's why Jesus speaks to different aspects of us, heart, heart. Mind, body, and soul. God is to be pleased in each of those elements, glorified in each of those elements. We cannot separate that we believe him in this way but not in this way. We can't honor God sometimes in some ways and not in the other. We are, want our whole lives to speak and point to Christ. Keep here in Luke, but turn over to chapter 11. I want to show you how Jesus addresses this, where he wants all of us to glorify him and worship him. Luke chapter 11. Mary said in Luke 1, my soul magnifies the Lord. And we're talking about the Lord being magnified. But I want you to see Jesus address this. Religious life, so-called faith, so-called obedience or good living that is clearly not right. Luke 11, starting in verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first Wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within. And behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, look at this, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you. For you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Jesus has strong words there, doesn't he? For the person, the churchgoer, the religious person, the believer who is only concerned with what he does and all that he does for God, and is negligent and ignorant And ignoring of what's going on on the inside of him. Strong words. Forceful words. So much so, look at verse 45. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us. You think? Folks, if we are so religious, but we have neglected our soul, we're in big trouble. And we should welcome an insult. We should welcome an insult from our God. Jesus would later say, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? This Christmas week, you ought to give full attention to who you are on the inside. You ought to turn to God and ask him to forgive you and do soul work on the inside. My kids have been keeping me up on some good hip-hop music And I can resonate with Jesus when KB says this, people don't care if you keep Christ in your Christmas if they cannot see that there is Christ in the Christian. People don't care if you keep Christ in your Christmas if they cannot see That there is Christ in the Christian. Jesus went in on these religious hypocrites. They felt the insult. They got the message. The message was, you're doing a whole lot on the outside. You've tried to make it look really good, like you care about God. But you've neglected the inside. The soul matters to God. He's worshipped, praised, honored, and glorified by us on the inside. J.C. Ryle also, I'm sorry, Matthew Henry speaking to this says, With great reverence of him, I never saw him so great as now I find him so good. He's speaking to the way the soul comes to know God. I never saw him so great as I now find him so good. Talking about the mercy in Christ. He goes on to say, no, Those and those only are advanced in mercy who are therefore brought to think the more highly and honorably of God. Whereas there are those whose prosperity and preferment make them say, what is the Almighty that we should serve Him? The more honor God has in any way put upon us, if God has in any way brought honor into our lives for any reason, the more we must study to give it to Him. And then only are we accepted in magnifying the Lord. When our souls magnify Him, And all that is within us, praising work must be soul work. One of the great Puritans said, posture in worship is often imposter. That's good, isn't it? I raise my hand sometimes, and I smile sometimes, and I get loud sometimes, and I I sometimes stand right here going, I'm not going to let anybody in here be louder than me. But you know what really worships God? The soul behind the outward action. That's the truth. Raise your hands, clap your hands, do all you want. Do every type of goodness, outward living, obedience you want to. Today, tomorrow, wherever. Give as much money you want to angel trees and salvation army and all of that. It does not necessarily reflect your heart. Now, it can reflect your soul. Surely everybody knows that, right? I'm not bashing outward living. But the real worship starts on the inside. Soul work. This right here is a magnifying glass. Y'all know what these are, right? When you can't read well, your eyesight's gone, you do like this. You know what this thing does? It makes it bigger, doesn't it? If you're my age or older, in the summertime, you know how awesome these things can be on a bright, sunny day, right? It's awesome. You can cook an ant just like that. When I was a kid, we would take these things out in the summer and gather up a bunch of dry grass right there. And in like 30 seconds, we'd have a bonfire in the street just from so cool. This thing right here is a magnifying glass. And what it does is it makes whatever you put under it bigger. Let's not complicate magnifying, it makes it bigger. When Carolina came in earlier, I started doing one of those to her, and she said, "Your eyes so big." That's the very word Mary says in her song about how her soul feels about God—not God's gifts, but God. Her soul says, "God is so big." Her soul feels he's so big and good. He loves me. He he did it. We've been waiting forever for the promises to come through, for a Savior to enter this world. There's no hope of eternal life without a Savior. For you, or for me, for them, for anybody. There is no hope apart from a Savior. And her soul felt that. And her soul did what this little instrument can do. Her soul made God bigger. Her soul said, he's he's so true. He's so good. He's so faithful. He cares for me so much. My soul magnifies the Lord. Oh, that we would do that. Every church tries to find its own identity, and here's what they do, and some go all in on these types of things, and some emphasize young people or old people, senior adults. You know, some people are some are more into missions or evangelism or discipleship and you know, all that kind of stuff. Church, may we be reminded today that before we're anything else, our souls must believe deeply. And feel deeply. And love deeply. God is our savior. God has kept his promises. And our souls magnify him. If the outside world that knows who we are. They know we attend here. They see all the cars. They know we're right here at 413 Fairdale Road. If they think. That we're a bunch of arrogant, fake hypocrites and our souls are not right with God. It ain't worship. He's not pleased. But may they get from us souls set on him. Recognizing their need for a savior and forgiveness and trusting in him. Number one is promise kept. Number two is the Lord magnified. And lastly, number three is the soul satisfied. Look back to 146, my soul magnifies the Lord. So the Lord is magnified, but her soul is now satisfied. This is a phrase that we have in the the scriptures. That's what C.S. Lewis was talking about when he said, that quote, "If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, just I'm, I'm missing it on the inside. I, I, there's got to be more to this life. Why am I not happier? The most probable explanation is that what is that I was made for another world. Our soul can and will be satisfied when we find the answer to it. And that being God and his love and His mercy. This past week at a funeral, I used Psalm 63, that psalm, to help us through the service. Psalm 63 is a psalm of David, and he's struggling. In that psalm, he says, My soul thirsts. My soul thirsts. That's a real way of life, and you know that. You've been there before, I'm sure. You didn't need a water, you got all the water you can drink, all the Coke you can drink, all the whatever else that you drink. You're still thirsty on the inside deep down. And David, being honest, says, my soul thirsts, my flesh faints as a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's how he felt. But Later in Psalm 63, he would say, my soul clings. And I love that vivid word with a lot of imagery of clinging. But you and I cling with hands and arms. We're like this, I'm I'm never letting go. And you wish that you could cling like that to God, but he won't let you right now. You can't touch him, you've not seen him in the flesh. If you're clinging to God, it's not with your hands and arms. That's why clinging to church and clinging to good works is not equal to clinging to God. Your soul must cling. Psalm 63 says, my soul clings to God. And because he knows God, And Psalm 63 says that God's love is better than life. Better than anything this life can offer is the love of God. God's love is better than life. It also says in Psalm 63, my soul will be satisfied. Three times in Psalm 63, David speaks about his soul. The soul thirsts, the soul clings, the soul will be satisfied. Mary, having all that is going through her heart and mind, can hardly even imagine what that's like. She's riding on a donkey to go because of a census. There's no room there. She's young. I mean, it just sounds awful. And yet, in believing the promises that God is keeping, her soul is okay. She is okay. The inside of her Is okay. Her soul trusts in the promises of God and in her Savior. The next half of that, 46 and 47, it goes on to say, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The satisfaction, the rejoicing, the treasuring, the comfort, the establishing, the foundation, the answer to all that Mary needs. Is found in God her Savior. And so her soul is satisfied. How's your soul? There are other sermons when we talk about how you're doing and how you're living, but not today. Today's not about your obedience and all you need to do for God. How's your soul? Deep down, before you fall asleep, looking in the mirror, in all honesty, how's your soul? Have you done any soul work? I don't know what it's like for women, but it's hard for men for us to disconnect ourselves from our work. For for, for us men, it's just all about our work. Are we good at our work? Are we worked enough? we work hard enough? Is our work ethic strong enough? Are we earning enough? Are we supporting enough? Are we providing enough? Just work, 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 work. And if we're good at it or we're just doing a lot of it, we think we're good men. That has nothing to do with the soul. Once you deal with the soul, all of that stuff can be glory to God and worship to God when the soul is right. But without the soul being right, all of that can be for nothing. I've attended hundreds of funerals where the best thing they could say about the man was how hardworking he was. And they did not want to discuss his soul. Because he went his whole life never addressing his soul. Christmas serves us well. And Christmas Sundays really serve us well. Because we get to hear somebody say, my soul magnifies the Lord. Ryle says, we too shall do well to walk in Mary's steps in this matter and cultivate a thankful spirit in our soul. It has ever been a mark of God's most distinguished people in every age, like David in the Old Testament or Paul in the New Testament, to have a remarkable spirit of thankfulness. We seldom read much of their writings without finding them blessing and praising God. Let us rise from our beds every morning with a deep conviction that we are debtors And that every day we have more mercies than we deserve. Let us look around us every week as we travel through the world. And see whether we have not much to thank God for. If our hearts are in the right place. We shall never find any difficult in building an Ebenezer. Well would it be if our prayers and supplications were more mingled with a thanksgiving soul. How's your soul? Several years ago, when I was waiting tables and still single, I had one of the wildest things happen to me. I met a man who was extremely wealthy. And he wanted to become friends. He let me drive his Ferrari around Louisville. That was cool. He would often show me all that he had and how successful he was. He took Valon out to some very, very nice dinners where I got to order filet mignon and lobster, and then he would make fun of me because I didn't have enough etiquette to eat like that. It was a neat scene for a while. We tried hard to not get caught up in it, and we didn't get caught up in it. This man was extremely wealthy, and he was our friend for a while. He has since long ago passed away. But one time, I was with him in his office downtown, and he was showing me pictures of when he had been with Michael Jordan and Muhammad Ali and folks like that. It was just, for me, I was about 24 years old, 25 years old. and For me, it was incredibly impressive and uh, just kind of like, I was in awe. And one day we were at his office, and as we're talking about those things, all of his successes, out of nowhere he turned around to me with tears in his eyes and on his cheeks and said, you're happier than I am. Why can't I be happy? I was kind of froze in that moment, and I don't have a lot of answers. But I've known for many years that Jesus is the sole satisfier, and so I said to him with all humility, "I'm not the guy to give you advice. You're three times my age, but I know that God is the answer, and only Jesus." will satisfy you on the inside. And I know that all of this stuff won't do it. That was a heavy moment. But it was true. It was true. Jesus is the sole satisfier. God has kept his promises. He can be magnified through us. Jesus gave his life to set your soul back focused on God. May you believe him. May Christmas be all that it can be and it not be a distraction for all that it shouldn't be and your soul rest in him. Would you today do that work of looking deeply inside to get your soul set on him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Mary's amazing song that her soul magnifies the Lord. God, we worship you this morning because of how you have taught us through your word to think about our soul and deal with our soul. God, we do worship you this morning. God, we pray by your grace and mercy that you would cause us to reflect and think and look deep. Help us not to run away from these thoughts. Help us to think about who we really are. God, lead us to repent and lead us to trust in Christ so that you would be magnified. God, may you look so big in our lives because of the way you are working on our souls. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we sing this final closing song, let's have a time of response.